guest today is founder and CEO of Koshio, a fashion brand that brings new life to everyday wear by combining ethnic inspired prints with contemporary designs. Nina Baxmati Jamson was born and raised in Ghana, but now resides in the United States of America. And I must add that we were mates in the famous Achimota School here in Ghana. Nina <laughs> shares her entrepreneurial journey on this episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. Welcome to my show, Nina. Thank you, Kofi. Thank you for having me. All right, then. So let's kick off our conversation by you telling us a bit more about yourself and how your childhood was like. Yes. So, well, I really appreciate you, you know, having me on your show. Well, um, I was born in Ghana and my name is Nina and uh, I grew up in a family of, wait, we were five I had three brothers, a family of six. So I grew up with three brothers and I was known as a tomboy. (laughs) My mom was a seamstress, a fashion designer at that time. So I kind of, you know, grew up around the sewing room and, you know, patching things. And I I must say, um, I wasn't very patient when it came to sewing, because the needle would always prick me and stuff like that, you know, but I, I, I guess I, I observed a lot growing up. I mean, that, I mean, pertaining to what I do, this is a nutshell of what I can say about my childhood. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, you studied biology at the university. So what fueled this shift from science to, to fashion? Well, so when I got to, University, I wanted to prove to myself that, you know, I could excel in the sciences, but um, I didn't necessarily enjoy it, right? Um, I, I, I love the competition. I love the fact that, you know, I was getting, you know, straight A's to an extent. I was doing well, and I just loved that. But it, it wasn't something that, you know, I was finding myself. I was in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but my parent, my dad is a, a, an engineer, but a businessman. And my mom is a seamstress and run like a small shop, you know, business. So I grew up around business. And when, when I was in college, I, I didn't want to do business. I wanted to do something that I felt was more challenging to me at that time. But in the process of trying to earn some money in college, I decided to go buy some goods from New York City and then I would come to the Midwest to sell. And I was making a killing doing that, right? I was very excited. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much the money. The money was encouraging, but I think it excited me more. And I th- that was the journey in finding out that, wait a minute, this is what I want to wake up doing, but how do I sell my own product in the process? And the only thing that I knew how to do, or the only thing that I'd observed and the only thing that I could get into was fashion at that time, you know? So that's, that's how I got into it. Oh, okay. Very, very interesting. Um, let's now talk about Koshi O, the Koshi O fashion brand. 
Tell us about the Koshio brand and what you really do. Well, um, I know when it comes to fashion, people just see the ideology of um, clothes. They just see clothes. They just see fashionable items and stuff. But I actually use my brand to tell stories. And that is the, that is the basis of it. Um, I'm selling you a dream with my brand. And I'm an African-inspired luxury brand. And we, I mean, we can talk about this as we, as we go on. But the bottom line is I'm painting pictures for people who don't have an idea of what Africa is. They don't have an idea of the richness and the culture and how we live, what we eat, what we do. So initially I was making clothes, but, you know, as um, I grew the brand, I realized it was more than just making clothes. It was telling stories in a positive light. Very, very interesting. Um, you've given us a bit of background about Koshio and what you do, but I believe there's indeed a story behind the whole setup of Koshio. Can you tell us that story? We really want to know what's the story behind the setup of Koshio. Well, they, well, um, it. I started about um, twelve years ago, oh, okay. and um, when I started, I had no idea it was going to get to where it it is now. Right? I started by buying fabric from Makola. I would go to Ghana since my mom sold. I would go and make designs with her. Come back to the states try and sell them, friends and family would buy, but the how, how was I going to get in the stores? Like, how was my brand going to get out there? How, how am I going to walk down the street and see a stranger wear my clothes? So that is kind of the, the journey. Like, how are you going to make this happen from the beginning, from the beginning of the product to the end of the distribution line? And I learned a whole lot in the process, you know, and whilst building the, the, the brand, most people would have that experience, you know, like by working in a store, working under a fashion designer or, you know, like um, just being in the industry, but I was not in the industry. So it's something that I had to learn as I walked in the journey, you know, and, and it took me a couple of years to even get production down to get distribution. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, but I was very passionate about it. So it wasn't like I was working, you know, and had I known what it would take to get to where it is, I probably wouldn't have started, you know, <laughs> because it's, it's, it, it, it takes a, it takes a lot. There's ups, there's down, there's up and down um, in, in moments. There's, you know, there's just times that you feel like giving up, you know, but the whole process, I guess maybe I, your, your question, I missed the question I, to understand what you're asking. Like, do you want me to tell you the process from beginning to end or? No, but I think, I think that is fine. Let me, that is fine. It gives us a very good feel of how this journey started and where you are now. So let me go on to my next question and, and then we'll talk about processes later on in our conversation. <laughs> Um, okay. So you've been in business for 12 years. How has the journey really been so far? Can you share some of 
the highlights with us? Well, um, highlights. Well, in when when I first started, what really gave me hope and what really pushed me to continue? I started, you know, I started flirting with the idea about two thousand and nine you know, getting fabric and stuff like that. And then I registered the company in 2010, you know, and then uh, about 2012, I got to meet, I mean, this amazing lady who, she was like the Bible of fashion at that time. Her name was uh, Franca Susani. She was the editor-in-chief of Vogue Italia at that time. And I met Franca and it just kind of, I guess that was a a moment when it confirmed that this was what I was supposed to do. I needed her in my life at that time and because it kind of brought validation to what I was starting, the seeds that I was sowing, you know, in the industry just brought some kind of validation. So I think that was when I was like, wait a minute, I think this is what I'm supposed to. And she was very encouraging when, you know, when I met her and I did some work with her and she ordered some stuff for me. And then all of a sudden, my name was all over the place. All the blogs were picking up my name. I mean, this is someone whose um, son now is married to Anna Winter's daughter. Um, Anna Winter is like the, I think she's the editor-in-chief of Vogue in the U.S., right? She's much more prominent, but has Frank's son. So you just have to understand what I saw and what, you know, like who I spent time with to be able to come to this conclusion. So that was, you know, that was, that was one highlight, you know, and then I, you know, I had other you know, personal highlights, you know, I had my kids and, you know, um, stuff like that. It's another highlight. I would, I wouldn't call it a highlight. Um, I guess, um, I'll call it progress, right. Was when, um, I did some leg work and because one day Franca called me and she, there was a dress that she, you know, she had me wear when I was pregnant and put me in Vogue Italia in that dress. And, she was like, she called me one day and she was like, like early in the morning, like she said, Nina, can I have a thousand pieces of that dress? And I was like a thousand pieces. Like I just got that fabric in Makola. Like, where am I going to get a thousand pieces from? So that's when I started to think like how, how not to miss this kind of opportunity because she, she didn't come asking for 20, 30 pieces. She asked for a thousand pieces and this was just the beginning. Right. Um, so I knew that I knew that I had to get the, the the production on lockdown. I know in Ghana we do things a little different. Um, first of all, you can't have a thousand pieces of one garment in Ghana because it's very small. Um, you just have a, a small sect of people that can also afford, and then you have people meeting each other in in the in the in the outfit, right? So I think the process in Ghana is a little different. Um, the peers that I started with seem um, seem on the surface to have almost, you know, gained more attention and traction and more notoriety, right? And it's because of how the system is. Like 
in America, I'm just another black woman. It's like, you know, when, when, when I come to Ghana, I see the, um, the, the classism and, and all that. It's, it's not like that here. It's like, once you walk out of the door, you're just another black woman. They don't care what you've achieved. And, you know, so it's a little, it's a little different, you know, in trying to prove yourself and trying to get into the industry. Your product has to really speak for you. Your product has to speak for you. Yeah. So you've had a very exciting journey so far, but I believe like we all face, um, there are challenges along the line. There have been some down moments. Can we now spend some time you talking about some of the challenges you face so far in business? Yeah, well, um, production is never an easy thing. Um, when, you know, you've, you've sourced out a product and it, it, it comes and it's not up to par, right? And you spend so much money to, to get that idea and that concept together. You know, so that was a challenge, but it's 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 no longer a challenge because we've been doing it for so long that we know what are the do's and the don'ts. Um, another thing that is challenging is um, really getting your name out there. Um, I realized that sometimes making the making the products and producing the stuff and making the clothes and that section, making all that is not really, you know, it's something that I like to do. You know, I like to design. It's, it's not so much of a header. Even producing and paying money is not so much of a header. I think the biggest challenge is getting your name out there, getting people to hear about your brand. I think that is what is very expensive. That's, that is where the expense comes in, Right. So that's, that is always a hurdle. That is a challenge, you know, um, because when you're in America, like you are on the world stage. So like I said, it's a little different. Nobody cares about you. Nobody respects you. My father is this and that. It doesn't work here, you know? So, <laughs> so your, your product has to speak for itself. You have to be in the industry. You have to keep on pushing. And, you know, sometimes people can tend to give up, you know, but, I mean, we keep on pushing and we're getting the brand, you know, in places that we never dreamed that we would be. So I guess I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know. um, so you've talked about some of the challenges and you've been on this journey for some time. I'm sure there's been a lot of lessons you've picked up. Can you share some of these lessons with us? Well, um, one thing I picked up on was faith because you need faith (laughs) to, to take this kind of bold step, you know, like fear cannot come in place. So one thing I picked up was faith. Another thing that I picked up was humility, right? And it's something that my mom has always been the kind that you know, she was humble. She grew up, she like, you know, she's a woman of faith and all that, but it's not something that I took very seriously, but I guess I think it's the biggest thing for me. Um, I know people see the glitz and the glamour and they see the, the, the stuff that you are doing, but you know, I think the faith, the humility, 
you know, and being content with yourself. And those are the life lessons that, you know, that I've learned on this journey, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then I've also picked up a lot of stuff. Like I realized that I'm really, really good at branding. I'm really good at strategizing businesses. Um, Because I've been doing it, I've been doing it, you know, for a long time. I realized that was also a gift that I had. I have an eye for things. So, I mean, I have people that want to start, you know, pepper business, whatever. I'm able to put concepts together very, very quickly and help them out with it. You know, so on the personal level, learn faith and humility. On the other side, I've really learned what it takes to grow a, a brand and to start a business. So I, it's something that I love to do on the side you know, pro bonally. I just enjoy doing it. So um, that that would say that's something that I've picked up, you know. All right. Um, so Nina, tell me, um, what really motivates you to do all that you're doing? Where do you draw your inspiration for? You know, honestly, um, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but Recently, I kind of understood, you know, when I was little, I always knew I was going to do something that was going to put me on a world stage, right? On a world map. I just didn't know what it was, right? So it takes me back to the issue of God. Like when he he makes you, he makes everyone very special. Like we all have our special thumbprints. He makes everyone very special and whatever you are supposed to come and do in this world, he puts it inside of you. And um, you hear, you know, the likes of Oprah and all these people going back to this basic thing of this still small voice inside of you. Right. It's like it's something when you say you sound silly, it's something when you say, oh, let's not go there. We're talking business. But the truth is. There's just this still small voice that kept me going, that kept pushing me. So I guess I found I, I found my purpose and this was what I was supposed to do. But it's much bigger than just making clothes, right? It's, it's supposed to be able to help others and pick others up. You know, it's, I'm, I haven't even seen half of the journey yet because you always see the end but you don't see the, the process and the journey of it. So not to sound weird or, you know, um, out of place, but it's just, uh, how, how do I know? It's just something inside me that pushes me every day. All right, then. Um, so we're going to look at some of the things you, you offer your clients or customers. Is it possible for us to see some of, the things you do at Koshio? Yes. Well, I brought a, a, a scarf. Okay. So I do have these um, these scarves that I make. And um, it's actually, a, this is actually a painting. So I have um, customers that actually frame these scarves. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I don't know if you can see. Yes. I can see it. Yes. Yes. So it's, um, so we do have a process where it's kind of, 
we do have paintings that are hand painted, oh, really? you know, and then we transfer it onto the silk fabric. And the process of transfer is very, very expensive. This is not just any silk scarf. And how you can tell the difference in a quality scarf and the knot is the feel of the fabric one. And then also the prints is like, this is the back of the scarf. So the print, the front and the back almost look the same. Same, Yes. Right. And if you see something that's printed as not quality, you see that the back will be white. Right. But when the front and the back is the same, that's how you are able to tell the quality in the printing. And then it's also hand stitched. Okay. It's hand stitched. So, this is one item that we have. And then um, I, I, did, I do have a men's line. Um, I actually started with women's, but the men's picked up really, really fast. Oh, okay. I guess men were easier to sell to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm actually now working on my women's line again, you know, but um, I do have shirts and um, I've never had to actually do this on TV, on, 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 on recording before, right? I usually do it one-on-one, but basically the biggest way to tell a quality shirt will be the stitching, the stitching of the shirt. So basically in like an inch of a shirt, like an inch of where the stitching is, right? You should be able to count about maybe 16 to 21 stitches to tell that it's a quality shirt that is not going to come apart. Ah. Yes. So if you are buying a quality shirt, you look at it, you take an inch of it and then you count the stitches. If it's less than, let's say 15 stitches, it's not a quality shirt, you know? So those are some of the details that we take. You know, we create most of the fabrics ourselves and this is, um, this is a kente print that we did ourselves. You know, we just added a twist to it and then we print it onto very high cotton um, fabric. I still want us to look at it some more. So if you can raise it just as you raised the scalp. Okay. If you can raise it up for us to, to admire it some okay, more. So, okay, so we do have like a Koshio red button okay. on all our shirts. All right. Yes. Yeah. And then the collar. One thing about our shirts is we have a hidden button in the collar. So the collar stays when you wear your shirt. It doesn't like fly all over the place because of the hidden button under the collar. Okay. So we have that. And then um, the design. This I call this the woman dance shirt because it's like a bunch of, it's a print with women, you know, like African dance and oh, okay. Very you know, right. we have the, the train as well Okay, on the arm. You can fold the arm, you know? So it's um, basically um, African wear, but very well made. And um, it can be put next to Ted Baker, if not even better. Right. Because they have become such big brands that sometimes they, they, they go down on some of the quality of the fabrics and stuff that they use. But we see it. Right. But the quality, the fit is what sells my products. 
You know, you can get, I have to sometimes convince someone to get a shirt, especially when I started and then they come back and buy 10. You know, I never have, you know, Hey, apart from one or two difficult customers, you know, over the span of 12, 12 years. Um, I think that we, we go based on the reviews and how people feel about the products. All right, then Let, let's now talk about a little bit of processes. Um, so, so roughly how much time does it take to produce a shirt like you just showed us? So um, I said, it all depends. Um, sometimes I source out um, fabric, right? But most, but most of my prints are original made in-house. So if we have to, if we have to work on a print, I have some specialized print like the Adinkra Rising, where we have the Adinkra at the bottom of the shirt and then to the top. So basically, um, there are some prints that we create, and it takes months to get the print together because I, I I get the idea in my head. And we have a new one that is we had one that was Adinkra and Paisley mixed. But we've done a second generation Adinkra Paisley, which is much better. And we just did um, Adinkra and Krobo Beads print. That's not out yet. So I just kind of come up with these, you know, crazy ideas, you know, that nobody has done. And then um, I get uh, my team together and we just, sometimes I sketch, I wake up in the morning, I sketch the idea roughly, like this is what I'm looking for. And we just build on that. So, that just to get the print can take maybe three to six months, depending on, yes, just get the print can take three to six months because I'm very fussy. So we keep on having to review it, you know, and then to go into printing and sampling, that will be another six weeks. And then to go into production, once you have the sample, the production can take another eight weeks, depending on how fast, it is, but to come up with the concept could be a year, but once we have it, once we have the design to get it on the market, it's like six weeks. That's very extensive. Um, I was looking at some of the, your products on your website and I came across your logo. You have a very unique logo. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about the Koshi O logo? I saw that as very unique. Please tell us about your logo. Well, um, it was, uh, uh, it's basically a silhouette of a woman with a baby on her back and a basket on her head. So if you've been to any parts of Africa, I guess some parts of um, India and stuff, you've been to any part of Africa, you have seen that in real life where women carry load on their head and the, the baby on the back. And it was very, um, it was very symbolic. Well, I did a, how I decided to make him my logo. I have to thank my husband for that. Um, uh, because I did a, a t-shirt and I had done a silhouette like that uh, and called it a Kaya Yo t-shirt. So it was like a Kaya Yo and I had a description on it. And they, my husband was like, that should have to be your leg logo. I was like, really? You know, so that, that was, you know, th- th- 
we had done a t-shirt. I had come up with a concept. I saw a, a, a woman carrying a baby. I wanted to do a t-shirt like that. And it eventually became my, my logo, but that was kind of like the process, okay. you know? Okay. Very, very interesting. <laughs> um, so we are all faced with our new. Well, before, before you, before you go on, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you, but that's fine. That's fine. The, what also makes that logo important is, um, women in general, we have to, we, we have to be adept at doing so many things at the same time. So it's kind side of kind of symbolic as well. Like I was a working mother, you know, so that's carrying the baby on the back, having the load on the head. And we, we have to be adept at doing all these things. So I think it also embodies that kind of message. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, but that's fine. That's fine. It's all part of the conversation. It makes it rich. Um, so we are all confronted with COVID-19 and yes. we are all trying to adapt to it because it looks like it might be with us for quite some time. Um, how has it been like um, operating within this COVID-19 period? Has it um, boosted or hindered your operations in any way? Share your COVID, COVID experience with us. Well, um, COVID, COVID has done a lot when it, when, it, when it comes to my business. I would say that initially it looked like it had hindered you know, because we we were actually in about 30 stores and we were looking to expand and we had got some more stores like to get product in 2019. We had got some more stores that we were supposed to distribute product to um, this the, in um, 2024. We had just started a relationship. So we were looking to almost double, triple our numbers by the end of 2020. But with the stores closing down, that 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 side of the business slowed down, right? Um, it put a stop at but I guess I was also very lucky um, because a lot of my my peers and counterparts and stuff, they got orders, um, they got orders in 2019. Um, end of 2019 that we were supposed to deliver in February. And when they got the orders, it's like after they had ordered, they, um, in Neiman's and all these stores were like, we're not taking the orders because of the lockdown and all that. So they lost a lot of money, right? Um, so that saved me um, because I had just made the connections with the new um with the new uh, uh, retailers and I was supposed to, you know, all, all said and done, I was supposed to distribute to them in 2019 fall, not spring. So I guess I was very, very lucky in that sense because you can't go manufacture hundreds and thousands of dollars of products. And then they're going to tell you that we can't take it. I mean, that will collapse a small business like mine. And so I think I was lucky in that respect, but even though, distributing to the stores and slow down my online picked up like my online picked up you know radically like 
you know, to keep up with the orders and, you know, with the shipping and all that. So I, I guess that was the positive side of it. You know, it made me pay more attention to online and because before COVID, you know, one thing, one thing about being a, 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 a black designer, right, or being considered African-American is that there are so many battles that you have to fight, right? There are so many battles that you have to fight. And um, just for instance, being at the show, just being a black woman, my product is already seen as inferior, you know, so a lot of people will hire, you know, excuse me, a lot of people will hire Caucasians into their booth, you know, because they don't want you to see their product as inferior. So you're already kind of, you're already kind of battling that, right? But, you know, something, something happened where George Floyd and all these things went on and people started to realize and focus that, wait a minute, maybe there's some kind of systemic racism that is going on that is affecting small business from coming up. You then when they looked at it, the ratio, I think there was a very low percentage of black designers that you would find in major retail stores and stuff like that. So now there's a movement where they have to have at least 15% of their vendors as black, but we didn't have all this opportunity. So even getting into those 30 stores was like a fight, you know, whereas my colleagues is much easier, right? My colleagues that are, you know, Caucasian or even French or whatever. So um, that, that has been a, you know, a challenge, right? All right, then we're just about wrapping up our conversation. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm sure there are young men, young women who are thinking of, starting a career in fashion. Um, so what would be your advice to someone with that desire to begin a career in fashion? Well, um, first of all, you have to really, really, I mean, pe- a lot of people, um, a lot of people rush to go into production and then to get the stuff out there. But you have to really, really think about who do you want to sell to? Who do you want your audience to be? What, what, what do you think they are going to like, right? Those are big questions that you need to ask yourself. And then it, once, you, once you are able to understand who your audience is, then you go into your logo, right? Because if, 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 you, if, your, your, if your audience, you didn't think it through and you started making shirts and you realized that I should have been working with kids instead, that means you didn't take that time to think through of what you really wanted to do, right? So you can't have a logo that looks for, like an, for an adult and then be doing kids clothes three years down the line, you know? So this is what I'm talking about. So you have to think about the categories and, you know, who your audience is. And kind of build from there. And then you go with the logo because the logo is very important because when once you do the logo, you can get the labels and the print. So when you when anytime you do a sample, they put the label in there. So that is a that is like a step by step process to get it right without having to spend so much money. Because if, for instance, the the shirt, is it a batakari you are wearing? Yes. 
So for instance, I made that batakari just to rush to do a sample, right? And then I didn't put my logo in. That means I I don't have the things. So do I wait to, you know, like you have to get certain things in place. And then also you can use social media. Um, you can use social media to build a hype. And then also you can go into production. You can go into, um, you you go into sampling first. So you get your sample, you see how it is, you see how it fits. You can get a few people telling you what they think about it, you know, and then you go into production. But I think you need to get these things in place before you even start thinking of sewing. Where, where, where you get your fabrics, you know, like you have to get the, the you have to streamline the production, streamline your fabric, streamline your, your, your buttons, streamline all this. So you have your sources where you can go to for every item to come together. All right. then before I ask my last question, um, if you were to start all over again, right, what would you do different? Well, I think that if I were start over, I would have interned with a designer instead of thinking that I could do it myself. Um, I would have worked at a retail store instead of thinking, because in every department, there's a language and there's a way to do things. And um, if you look at the um, story, I don't know if you, are, um, if you know Tori Birch. Um, she's an American designer and um, very, very major, right? And her story, like to, to, you know, I might not get it 100%, but basically she, she worked for, after school, she didn't know what to do. So her mom had a friend designer that she worked with. She worked with him for a bit. And then she worked for, I think, uh, this lady who is now big in one of these um, magazines, right? Maybe Style or one of those magazines. And she worked for that lady for a while. And then she went to work for Ralph Lauren. And when she worked for Ralph Lauren, I think she was working in his um, PR area. And one of her friends who she was working with together at Ralph Lauren said she was setting out to go start her own fashion brand. So a few years later, that friend calls her and is like, hey, I need you to come and do my PR with me. Guess who that friend was? That friend was Vera Wang, who is one of the biggest designers when it comes to bridal wear. So she worked with Vera. And then after that, she started to rebrand. So just think of all this information that she she had, you know, and she when it comes to branding, when it comes to uh, publications, when it comes to design, she had, she had worked with a designer, she had worked with a magazine, she had worked with, and then she had seen her friend build a brand from ground up. So when she started her brand, it's like, where did this woman come from, right? But it wasn't so much of that is the experience. So that's one thing that I wish that, you know, I had done or I had the opportunity um, to do was to shadow under someone. Okay, okay, okay. All right then. Um, so before we sign off, um, what will be your last words and pieces of advice for our listeners? Well, um, if you feel something in your heart that you want to do it, just jump and do it. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop you. 
because we've all gone through those motions. And um, if, if you feel, I think a lot of people are afraid to really say out what they want to do. Like you ask somebody, what do you want to do? Like, hey, oh, I want to be a, you know, a lawyer. I want to be this and I want to be that. But it sometimes some of the things, someone wants to be a comedian. Some, some of the things that they want to do, they feel so foolish to say it. But yeah, I like to encourage young people to just do what, you know, what you like, what you are feeling inside, what's egging you on inside. You should have the courage to do it because, you never work a day in your life and you would not regret it. So that's one advice that I'll give to people. Don't let fear overtake you. All these people that you see that are successful, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon and all these people, they started in their garages. And when they were doing what they were doing, I'm sure they had people telling them that they were being foolish, right? So that's one advice as an entrepreneur, seeing how doors have opened, seeing how small I started, you know, and now I'm sitting in places with retailers that I never, ever knew or people, you know, working in fashion magazines that I never, ever knew would even, you know, I would even have a connection with in any shape or form. But I started from Makola with $100, you know, so don't don't be afraid. Even if you don't have the money, I didn't have the money, but for some reason, doors of opportunities, every stage that you need to get to, um, doors of opportunities open. So that's one advice that I would give, a heartfelt one. That's one thing that I'll tell any person that's on the come up. All right then. So thank you so much, Nina Baxmati Jamson, for sharing your rich journey with us today on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. We wish you the very best. Thank you so much, Kofi, for having me. I'm so grateful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, too. So this has been another exciting episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. I'll come your way next time with another exciting episode. I remain your host, Kofi Animedu. As always, let's stay safe and continue to Keep hope alive. Cheers. Thank you.